This episode of ARC Speak is sponsored once again by ARCAT. And of course, we love hearing what ARCAT has to say. So listen to this. Your boss asks you to put together the CAD details for your firm's next project. What's your next step? Is it using a basic internet search only to find outdated or incompatible details? Grabbing the details from the last project and hoping they fit? There's an easier, faster, and less stressful way to get the information you need. ARCAT.com RCAT has over 15,000 CAD details based on real manufacturers' products and powerful search engine to find the right one. Best of all, it's free, and you don't even need to register. Just go to RCAT.com and start downloading the CAD details you need. And this episode is also sponsored by BQE Core. BQE Core puts business intelligence time and expense tracking, billing, project management, and accounting together on one intuitive, powerful platform. Whether you're at the office, at home, or on site, Core allows you to seamlessly monitor projects and tasks, track time, send invoices, and get groundbreaking insights. Make work easy and get your fully functional 15-day trial of Core by going to bqe.com core. Welcome to ArcaSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Welcome to episode 134 of the ArcaSpeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. So what have you guys been, uh, what have you been working on? What are you up to? Well, um, the fun thing about projects when they're coming to the end is you know everybody's starting to scramble to you know you start getting bombarded with more and more questions realizing that people are finally working on things yeah deadline (laughs) but mine's a little bit different now because i'm getting bombarded by questions from the contractors because and i think i we may have talked about this a while ago that you know, the project is still in design. Well, it's still in construction documents. We've got a couple more months to go. Um, in fact, two to be exact with at time of recording, not time of airing, but is time of recording and put out a early bid package for steel and, and concrete and things like that. And so as we're going through the questions and the the RFI questions and things like that from the contractor for the steel, we're realizing just how much we've got to still continue to coordinate and potentially even still design with the steel package that is in the hands of the contractor. And it's just, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we've, we've talked about it in the past and we were talking about it kind of pre-show about like, you know, the future of, construction and stuff and you know one of the you know methods is you know this fast tracking that we all um have probably experienced and love so much um it's just it's a, the future man sometimes this this hyper intensive scheduling um because people don't seem to understand you know just like we talk about that people don't understand the value of you know, a well-designed building, you know, sometimes people don't even understand that, you know, construction takes time, especially, you know, and sometimes it, 
it's at the de- detriment of the normal project process. Um, and it's just, it, it's one of these things that, you know, right now, uh, you know, I'm contending with, you know, it's, it's like the last project I had, uh, we bid it out. Um, we bid out the GMP at 50% CDs and, you know, it, it plagued me throughout the whole thing because, you know, there were still decisions being made by the university, um, that, kept affecting things throughout. So post GMP, there were still questions to be asked and questions to be answered that kept kind of just like up and down. And, you know, it just kept affecting the construction schedule. It kept affecting the uh, construction budget. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that this isn't going to be, you know, more of the same. And I don't, I don't necessarily think it is. I think this one, the great thing about it is, is that we've had the CM on board the entire time. And, um, you know, we have rather than just diving straight into things where, you know, we've got a lot of design assist partners that are also going to be the contractors, you know, the, the prime contractors for whether it's glazing, uh, precast, you know, all these other things. And so it's a little bit different than, you know, projects in the past that have fast tracked, but, you know, it's just, <laughs> I can't help but think that, you know, if if this is the way things are moving, then we need to, what, what's your favorite saying, Evan? Um, click faster? Yeah, click more faster. Yeah, click more faster. Click I more mean, faster. That's kind of where we're going to have to go is, you know, a more, um, how, how do you get quicker? Yeah. How do you get quicker? The computer makes the decisions for you. That's how. That's a scary thought in its own in its own right, right there. There was a thread going on on the Entree Architect community on Facebook about that whole, um, you know, take how, how do you track your time? Do, don't people understand that it takes time to design, and how come it's taking so long? And and it was interesting because one one of the guys said, you know, I I was actually brought in as a expert witness on a, for an architect who was being sued for $12 million. And he ended up going back and going through all the records of all the different decisions that were made. And, and it was able to get that settlement down to $37,000 or some, some odd number like that from $12 million. And this architect was nagging this other architect about the time he was spending going through the records, he's like, did I mention I, I got him out of $12 million? <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and so I, it, it's interesting because like we're, we're guilty of doing this to ourselves, not let alone, uh, you know, clients and contractors and, and all this crazy scheduling that we have to deal with. I, I think I saw the thread, but I completely missed it only cause you know, I'm living my own thread right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you're saying that the architect that the one that was telling the story whose whose ass was saved right he was Nick was complaining was, that yeah. the other architect who was saving him yeah was spending too much time saving him yeah exactly awesome <laughs> okay so you know what we get what we deserve then <laughs> we see this all the time right we see clients who and, and uh, where especially for smaller projects i would i would think you know where 
you know, residential, this is probably happens quite a, quite often. You you send a bill to a client and then they want to see how you spent all that time and and then you have to go spend a bunch of time to justify how you spent the time. And <laughs> and it's just it's this crazy vicious cycle that we get stuck in and the whole premise is that we need to move faster, right? But but then there's yeah. this there's this whole thing going on where it's like, okay, now show me how you spent that 5 minutes. Why did you bill me for a a 6-minute phone call? Uh, you know, it, it's it is pretty crazy. It, it's hard. It's hard to deal in the service industry when it comes to stuff like this because you there's this constant pressure to perform faster because we've talked about the drive-through mentality before, right? Like, I just want to go straight to window number two without paying at window number one because the project should be done, and it's because of there's so many factors out there in the real world where people. You know, the real world is in is in podcasting air quotes, right? HGTV. I, I saw you. I saw them turn that house around in seven oh. days, right? And, and so that becomes people's reality, and that's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. And and they don't realize. And I don't think this. I I talk about this in my class. Now we worked on this project for five years, you know, and and people their their minds are blown. Like they don't. They're they are becoming architects. And they don't even realize how how much time it takes to work on these projects. You know, the thing that kills me is that people's perception, you know, let's go back to that HGTV perception, um, that people watch that and they say, well, you know, they sat down with um, that family on day one. And then the morning of day two, they walked in with a a completely set of rendered plans, you know, and in exactly. a 3D model and everything else. And so why does it take you so long? I'm like, because did you notice that in the background when they first met, there was snow on the ground and now it's a fully bloomed um, <laughs> it's background? It's called editing. Because, <laughs> because the six months was in between those two days. Yeah. Um, you know, it just, you know, no one, no one gets that. No one gets that, you know, well, you know, I mean, they just started building. Well, not really. They had to pull permits and to pull permits, you need this and you need that. And you got to go through a whole bunch of hoops. And, oh, did you notice that this house was in a historic district? So guess what that means? That's another six months worth of litig, you know, like, just talking, I was about to say litigation, but not really litigation. Just, just going through the whole process of getting approved by the you know historic district. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of things that we could point to to kind of create a. Okay, so so have you ever written a book? No, do books just pop out of authors overnight? Right, like there's a lot of different analogies we could draw. Have you ever done? Have you ever done this? Have you ever designed a car? Have you ever built a car? You know, like like we're we're so used to just buying things. People are so used right. to buying things Instant that they gratification. don't they don't look at the what it took to get there and how long it took to get there. Um, it's interesting to think about that kind of stuff. I was reading an article about you know how F, over the course of the past few decades, how that we've been pushing for this. You got to get your college degree. That the U.S. is in dire need of tradesmen. Like. That's yeah, like the no shit. Right. That's like the no shit statement of the century. But what I think that's done is that's we've lost our concept of making of what it takes to do the work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. we used we used to watch our parents come home. We're guilty from, of that by putting lines uh, on oh, a paper absolutely. and not yeah, understanding absolutely. how those two things or three things or four things actually go together. True. Yeah. True. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and and and, and honestly, you know, Revit's not helping. You know, it's just like, well, you know, so tell me about this wall. In in you know, it, it's becoming much much better now. You know, where people are becoming far Six more savvy generic and, wall and understanding, but. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's a six-inch generic wall. What, what does that mean? <laughs> generic? <laughs> yeah. So how do you build a six-inch generic wall? It's filled with Cheetos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if it were so. Tonight was State of the Union, right? Speaking of Cheetos. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, okay. No, actually, it was Auburn basketball. Okay. They beat Mississippi. Oh, okay. There. How's that? That we'll, was a good we'll, save. We'll, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we'll, we'll completely get off of, uh, save. of that. War Eagle, though. How? Yeah. Um, Neil, what you got going on, man? <laughs> Did you fall asleep? Healer? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Nothing? You ain't got anything? <laughs> I got nothing. To kind of throw in similarly to what you were saying about bidding projects at 50% CDs to uh, come up with the GMP to go out, you know, there's lots of reasons for all this. and Designed to fail. Well, I mean, one of the challenges that we're facing is that, as you mentioned, Cormac, during the rest of the project, as you're finishing drawings or going into the building permit process, there's there's things that come up, uh, sometimes unforeseen, unknown, uh, things you didn't anticipate, uh, lots of things that can happen on a project that suddenly get added to a project. Or you know, in, in one case, the project I'm working on is required. It's It's kind of a generic requirement for any remodels or new buildings that they have to underground utilities. Yeah, and on a project I'm working on, the utilities are in an alley, the the telephone poles that is, and the telephone poles serve a residential neighborhood on one side and uh, apartment buildings on the other, and so one of the comments we got back from the city was, "Well, you have to underground your utilities," and mind you, this is an affordable project that the city's actually <laughs> kicking in money on, and so we came back to them and. You know, basically said, well, that's nice. We we would, you know, everybody would like to do that. But if we were to underground our utilities, the poles don't go away because the poles serve the neighborhood on the other side of the block, you know, behind, oh, this. behind this alley, right? I've seen mm-hmm. this many times, right? Yeah, you just underground it for your block. Well, it, and it's not even this block. It, it's, you know, basically... We could underground our service through the alley, but the mm-hmm. poles would still stay there because there's no way we're going to underground on the other side of the block. I mean, no way you're paying to retrofit, you know. I don't even know how that would happen because you'd have to underground across people's property, hmm. right? And uh, to get to the other side of the street, I, I don't even know how it would happen anyway. Is this because a the- chicken joke? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah. Anyway, so this is real. <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. the city came back and basically said, "Okay, well, you you don't have to underground, but we're we're going to charge you a fee for the lineal feet from the pole to your service to basically a fee you have to pay for not 
undergrounding. Like a fine. <laughs> well, it, it's like a fine, uh, but I mean, it, it's... This is your variance fee, right? And here. I don't know. I shouldn't... I, I, I understand where they're coming from. The city has a checkbox, and if they can't fill the checkbox, there has to be some way that they can justify not doing it, right? I mean, the, you have to pay the penance. The city engineer or some staff engineer can't just say, yeah, that makes no sense. Of course, you don't have to do this. Let's just move on. They, they can't do that, right? I mean, they, they don't have the authority to do that. So but they it, have to have some right way. Here. What's that? Yeah, it yeah, says exactly. Right here, it says Neil, you right have on to this, do it. This, it, it. There's a checkbox. That's right. And if I can't check that box... Yeah. everything's ruined yeah because when we made when we made that rule it it had to apply to everybody a hundred percent right well and, and i get that i mean you have to you can't just make every exception in the world i get it i get it but there just seems to be this inability when you're working with the city sometimes that uh to just just make a decision that is that that makes sense that works for people and you know, I, I get it. Maybe you have to make certain decisions to force developers to do things, and I get that. But it, it just seems a little crazy at times. So, anyway, the point of that whole story is to basically come back to what you were just mentioning at the start, Cormac, is that because of these unforeseen things, we have an affordable project that's going for tax credit applications and all of this stuff, and. Basically, a whole lot of money has been added to the project because of things just unknown. just sounds like you guys paid through the project what the city was actually going to be paying you. Well, I, you know, I don't know about you, that. but Well, it, you you said that the city was going to be kicking in money? Yeah, there's, there's yeah, well, now there you're are affordable kicking, housing you're kicking funds. Money, but you're kicking money back to the city to pay yeah. all of these <laughs> impact fees. And now yeah. you you know now you've covered their cost. Yeah, I suppose. Well, they, I don't know. I don't. I don't know the the all of the numbers here, but it just seems that well, our biggest problem is that ultimately the project's well over budget now, uh, and not due to everything, but uh, but due to high costs here in Northern California and probably in many places in the country or around the world right now for construction is that the project is being stripped. I mean, we're literally going li almost line item by line item. What things can we either strip, change? All of the niceties about the project have been taken away. And these are the realities. I get that. It's like, if we don't do this, we don't have a project. Mm -hmm. So it's right. it's a little frustrating, but it's all being driven by... Here's this GMP based on basically an incomplete set of drawings because they haven't gone through the, the building department process. But going back to what you said, construction takes time or the planning for the construction takes time. If we had taken yeah. a little more time, maybe that would have made a difference. But ultimately, I, I think you could take as much time as you want and there's still going to be things that crop up that you don't know about. You have to deal with that costs yeah. more money. Unforeseen, right? yeah. Unforeseen. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Did you guys really have the upfront knowledge that the city was going to, you know, kind of impose a, some form of impact fee on you because you basically are following existing conditions and you decided that, 
I mean, and I don't know if you guys, yeah, I'm sure you guys probably sat down with them during the, you know, code review process and, and everything. Well, I mean, there's things you can ask and there's things you just don't know about, things that might get be right. buried right. in a municipal exactly. code that don't crop up until later in the process and somebody goes, oh, wait a minute, there's this. And, uh, oh, okay. I don't research the entire i mean you know maybe we should maybe actually this has happened twice a kind of couple of projects where there's been some rule or regulation buried in a municipal code that we didn't know about and uh it's kind of come up a couple of different times over the past year or two on projects here's the problem you can't you can't ever track down all those damn overlay codes that you know you can go through all of your zoning regulations, you can go through all of your um, building code regulations and all that other stuff and think that you've got everything covered. But then there's that one little thing just hiding <laughs> in a municipal code or some deed covenants or some stupid, you know, whatever that just pops up and says, hey, guys, yeah, I'm I'm going to screw your project up. <laughs> it was a number of different things. I mean, there, there's also, we also got hit with a, cond- uh, actually is, um, it's, I'm not sure if it's in their municipal code. It, it's something that recently passed within the last year or two that all R2 buildings of which our building is of this type, have to have sprinklers by Originally, it was 2020. Their city council extended that date last year to 2022. So that basically all every building in this city has to have sprinklers yeah. installed. Now, let me ask you, is that on new construction or is that all, all buildings? So retrofit? R2 buildings. So you have to go back and retrofit them. Whether you are doing a remodel or a repair, it doesn't matter. If you do nothing to your building, you have to add sprinklers to it by 2022. This is a cost that, and, and there's huge wow. fines that the city is going to levy. I think you should just tear those buildings down instead. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but, but that was something that came up. One of our buildings does not require, it does, it's a 1960 building. It doesn't have sprinklers. The remodel doesn't require us to have the sprinklers and, now we have to do it. So now we're adding sprinklers to this building. Yeah. And, you know, there's an unforeseen cost that we didn't know about. That's so, not cheap either. No, 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 it's not. No. It's not cheap. So, uh, so going back to what you had started us off with, that's, that's, you know, we're, that's the, something we've been dealing with here the last week and a half. See what you look forward to as an architect, kids? Yeah. The fun stuff. Almost daily conversations between us, the, the developer, in this case, the, the, our, our client, and then and the contractor who's been selected for the project going through and like, well, we can save $2,500 here and $9,000 there. and Stripping it. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a struggle, and yeah. So this this is architecture, right? I mean, we're we're trying to get a building built. Oh, that's painful. Yep. Or trying to get a building retrofitted in this case, remodeled. So that's my life lately. I mean, that's that's kind of what we're doing. All right. Well, I, I have nothing I could talk about. If I did, I would bore you all to death. So, um, okay. I've we I've know, two. We know that's we, not true. We've mentioned <laughs> we've mentioned uh, 
two topics in the past, Neil. I'm going to give you the choice to pick which direction to go here. <laughs> all right. So we can either follow up on the strategic planning that you got to be a part of. Oh, yeah. Or about that. Yeah. you can talk about. I don't want to put Cormac to bed or sleep. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, what? What were we talking about? <laughs> the demolition of the Frank Lloyd Wright building. Well, let, let's talk about this Frank Lloyd Wright thing because it's up on my screen right now. Um, we, we can come back to strategic planning at another time. So what we're referring to is recently, as in, I don't know, about two and a half weeks ago, Frank Lloyd Wright's second to last building was just demolished in Montana. So this was, uh, let's see, this was the Lockridge Medical Clinic. Thank you. Lockridge Medical Clinic. And it was, uh, let's see, designed in 1958, realized in 1959. After he died. After he died, yes. But it, it's been a number of different things over the they years. They tore it down because they had to put sprinklers in it? <laughs> I was going to say, because, you know, because of the current that was codes, cheaper. they had it to, exactly. Oh, uh, that's great. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they had to put HVAC in it, and then they realized it's like, <laughs> yeah. these ceilings are too low. We can't do anything about it. It's Gotta Montana. It I mean, it, what's, it does have a fireplace in, for central heat, I think. Uh, yeah. Did. Yeah. Sorry. Did have did. a fireplace. Exactly. So, so what we're talking about is that the developer um, who owned the building had... He, he had plans to basically demo it and put up a... Um, a three-story building and but gave the option of somebody buying the building from him for 1.7 or some yeah let me see 1.7 yeah, yeah, million dollars and um you know through the course of the year that the negotiations for uh that 1.7 million dollar uh sale price was going on he basically just kind of kept moving forward with his plans to to demolish it and the Frank Lloyd Wright building conservancy ultimately raised the money paid him uh, or at least made an offer to him uh, at, at the 11th hour. And uh, it, I, I, I thought it was, um, you know, interestingly disingenuous from the guy's lawyer that says this building has been, you know, for sale for over a year it's a bit frustrating that these people are just rushing in to get things done and we've had it posted uh, for sale. And it's just like for, for people like, you know, the conservancy raising $1.7 million to purchase a building. That's a huge undertaking. You mean that, that takes donation. time? Does that, does yeah, that take time too? <laughs> that <laughs> yes, takes time. You don't I mean, just that's, pick that's that up like, in the drive through Yeah. Those are donations that, you know, they're people... This, you know, the conservancy does not have money, you know, $1.7 million just jingling around in their, their pocket. pocket. Yeah. I mean, this is, they've got to go through, they've got to, you know, apply for grants if they want to try to do that. Or, you know, go through and, you know, just do the grassroots effort of raising the money. And so, you know, that takes time and, and effort. And, you know, this guy clearly reading this article, I mean, there was nothing about this guy's intentions that were honorable. I mean, he purely wanted to just demo this thing and, and he just dangled it around as a kind of a PR thing. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to give them time to do this. No, all he's going to do is he knows that he's got to wait for his architect to 
um, you know, finish the plans for his, you know, three story, you know, multi-use building, you know, and so that'll take some time. It'll go through all the permitting process all the while I'll say big, huge, you know, podcast air quotes here that I'm going to, you know, make this effort to go ahead and sell this building off to, um, you know, the conservancy or, you know, anybody who wants to save this building, they can do it. Just give me the money. And when they finally said, okay, we got the money. Here you go. It's like, yeah, no, you, you missed the deadline. Sorry. And the, the thing that, and we'll post a link to a Facebook account that had the late night in the middle of the night, in the middle of the dead of winter in Montana of all places. So, you know, it's cold. They're out there demoing this building so there there's no one who can see them doing this. You know, it's his right to do it. It's like a video straight out of cops. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> put the cops theme song behind that. But it was just, Jeez. you know, so so here's where all of that you know um is leading to the question of you know are should these buildings no matter what be saved um and i don't know if that's actually the the right way to phrase that question but you know here's here's the second to the last building that frank lloyd wright ever did it was built posthumously and you know like plenty of other buildings were but i mean and but here's a building by a famed architect should it be saved um there are tons and tons of famed architect designed buildings being demolished on a daily basis. Um, is it right? Is it wrong? Should we save it? You know, I mean, what, what are you guys' thoughts? Cause I, I've got plenty of thoughts on them and I want to hear yours. For- well, what's interesting about this one in particular was that it, it's noted that it was listed on the national register of historic places and it was still torn down. So, so it's like there were no protections in place, and so I guess is it maybe that's that's the question is like, do should should some kind of protective measure be taken to actually put some teeth into this? Because it seems like even though that happened, I mean, it still got torn down. Yeah. So and how do you have teeth? That, that's in, actually a, that's the better. That's honestly the better question. So, so yeah, because. Do do these buildings add value to the heritage of architecture, or is it just because it was by this famous dude who, you know, everybody in architecture knows who he is, but does everybody, everybody know who he is? Probably. I mean, he's probably the most well-known architect from yeah. the United States, at least, uh, and most people who don't know Jack about architecture know about Frank Lloyd Wright, at least know the name, and have probably right. even been in one of his buildings and and found it to be interesting and 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 probably inspiring like i'm I'm just imagining like how many people have walked through the guggenheim in new york and um i mean there's definitely less of that on the west coast than there is you know chicago and east coast stuff but i would you know falling water is but but those are iconic like this is an office building, so well, like there's a I, difference if, there, right? I mean, the, the the only similarity is that they were designed by the same guy. Well, I think you make you raise a really big question: is if in you know because we've I don't know if you've ever dealt with landmark buildings or anything like that. There are things that are on the register, 
but you know, I mean, there are supposed to be some protections um, afforded this building, right? So that it could save it from, you know, demolition. I mean, it, you know, if if it's something that's crumbling and it poses, you know, a life safety issue, you know, that's one thing. But if it's a squabble over cash and you know this guy, you know, clearly extended. A, I mean, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to say. You know, what the motivations other than just pure you know financials. I, I right. mean, I think this guy was just you know like I don't care who who designed this. You know, it's in the way. I want it gone. I've there was a there was a building in Sarasota and it was a, a a Ringling building, you know, John Ringling, the founder of the you know Ringling Brothers um mm-hmm. uh, circus. And uh um you know, he's uh, Ringling College and you know, he's he's got a lot of a lot of historic um homes and stuff down in Sarasota area. And there was a home that was a you know connected to the Ringling family. It was one of their original houses, and um, the preservationists had been trying to save this thing. There was a construction of a high rise hotel on the site, and um, you know they'd been trying to save it, and so they had designed plans around saving it. But miraculously, in the middle of the night somebody had broken into one of their front loaders and accidentally run into the building and knocked it over. (laughs) And you just like, you're right. Accidentally, again, big, huge monstrous air quotes there. Accidentally ran this over. No, it's, you know, it's in the way of progress and you wanted to get rid of it. Um, You know, and the, the problem is, is that, you know, there's, there's bigger questions of like, you know, what is this? Do? And you started talking about what does this do to you know the the fabric of you know the city? I mean, you know, is it? Um, are you losing heritage? I mean, there there's all sorts of like emotional things, you know. Like to me, I I love the aesthetic, the the eclectic aesthetic of cities. I mean, to me, that's the most interesting thing when they start tearing things down and it just becomes this big wall of glass, you know glass covered buildings and stuff like that. I there's no mean character stucco. there. Yeah. <laughs> stucco and, and everything else. I mean, there's no character to it. We were actually driving, you it's know, generic. Um, we were driving in uh, DC over the weekend and, you know, my kids were like, you know, Hey, check that out. And I kind of like turned my head and I look, look over and I see these two um, buildings and I didn't take a picture of them, but Maybe I can find a screenshot of it. You know, it's it's just it was interesting because there was these two old, um, probably colonial era or just post colonial era, um, you know, buildings, you know, uh, row homes, and there's these brand new buildings built over the top of them. Yeah, and as ugly as the two buildings that were built over the top of them were, what I think was really interesting is the fact that they were still there. In that you're driving down and you're looking at a bunch of you know mid-rise glass buildings, but in the f- in front of them are a row of old um, you know 1700s, early 1800s buildings 
that are still there, that are still, you know, part of the witness of, you know, I've seen this city evolve. Yeah. And it's a true symbol of the way cities develop. Exactly. And, and, you know, to see things like that go in, you know, this is when I get like all touchy feely about, you know, preservation and it's less about the, um, you know, it, it being a registered building or anything. It's just the fact that, you know, the building's already there, you know, let's talk about finding a new use for it or something. Find a new use for it because it's, it's, it's already there. It's, it's cheaper to go ahead and, and renovate sometimes. Sometimes it's cheaper to renovate. Um, but you know, it, and it's a famous building in, in it's Montana and there's so few people in, you know, wherever this particular thing is, um, where, where's, where was the, help me out here. Where was that building at? Um, in whitefish, whitefish, Montana. Yeah. So how many people go, how many people go to Whitefish, Montana to seek out, you know, historic or good architecture? Probably no one, except for the people who know that there's a Frank Lloyd Wright building there and they want to see as many, if not all of the Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. And there's tons of those people out there that do that. You know, I love going to, you know, look at old Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. Um, and, you know, if I would have known that it was there, I would have probably wanted to, you know, hey, I'm in Montana. I want to go see that building. Let's go see that building. So the first time, you know, and so now I'm, you know, contributing to the economy of Whitefish by going and seeing this building, probably having lunch there. Yeah, but like sp- speaking of the economy of Whitefish, you know, it's not, there's no incentive for the city to keep this building. There is a lot of incentive to build a three-story mixed-use stucco tower on on this site instead right i i I think that there's so many competing interests i think you kind of neil you kind of alluded to that earlier neil when maybe before the the recording started but all these competing interests it's so hard to kind of untangle all this stuff like who's stepping on who and who's going around and behind the back and under and over and to make something happen and and a lot of it is economically driven but not just on the side of the developer in this case. I'm I'm assuming that there's other weird stuff going on too because it's not like you can just go tear down any building you want whenever you want, right? Like there's there's more to it than that. Now, I will say this, and let's be honest. Is this the best example of Frank Lloyd Wright's work? Well, that's what I that's what I was trying to get at in the beginning was like like no. there <laughs> definitely are some iconic Frank Lloyd Wright and then there's a lot of mediocre stuff. I mean, you you were talking about, you know, adding the AC down to Florida. And, Florida Southern College. Yeah, yeah, right. And so technology's changed, use needs have changed. Uh, there's lots of things that, that, like, there are reasons, definite reasons to keep iconic structures. But, but like I said, like, this is just a, like a little office building. And so. I was going to say, is, the, is this. Right. Is this an iconic frank lloyd wright building or is this just a frank lloyd wright building well and it depends there are... it depends right because yeah the, the whole internet wants to weigh in on this subject right but the the problem is is like we don't live there we don't we've never been in this building it's not our building i i, I would assume that there are people who live in whitefish montana who who like they lost a piece of their soul or maybe i'm wrong you know i don't know i mean that's one it's hard to judge this kind of thing just 
on the internet. So, I mean, honestly, just looking at the photographs that are included in the article and obviously we're going to be posting it up there and, and I wish that there were more, um, but you know, it's a single structure. I I mean, to me, I like it. Say again. Single story. Yeah. To me, I mean, I like it. I, I'm not a big fan of like the like the over decorated fascia that it's got going on, the little cornice work, but um and what clearly looks like to be a uh added on mechanical screen of some form or something like that. I think I mean, that's that clear story section in the middle, over the middle. Like well the center space. The well, but what's sitting on top of the clear story is what I'm... Because it looks like you can see the, the planar element of the clear story, but then you... I bet you looks like right. there's something sitting on top of that. I, I bet it is a mechanical. Yeah. Anyway. And, and so, you know, overall, you know, it's it's an okay building. I mean, is it is it what we think of, you know, when we think of Frank Lloyd Wright? No, it's... In fact, you know... To be quite honest with you, at first blush, and this is probably going to kill anybody who's like a Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, um, fanatic, but it it's not that good. It's It looks like, you know, it would be done by one of his disciples and, you know, um, and not him. I mean, the interior is most certainly not, you know, what I would think of as indicative to Frank Lloyd Wright. It's plain it's boring it's wood paneled with drywall it's i mean i'm assuming that that's you know been evolved over time and yeah, you know exactly. it, it's not the original um and even the um it, you can <laughs> it's so horrible you can almost see that it was like the last you know one of the last buildings that he did because uh it it's not that it, it's bad. It's not that. I mean, it's really not a good building. Um, it's just an okay building. Um, and, uh, you know, so the question is, is it that big of a loss that it's been demolished or is it that big of a loss because it's been demolished because it was a Frank Lloyd Wright building? Um, I don't know. I'm torn. I'm, I'm really torn on this building only because, you know, it, it's, the detailing doesn't is, I mean, I've been in, in tons of Frank Lloyd Wright buildings and the detailing just doesn't seem up to the par of what he, you know, has have I've, what I've seen in the past. And it's just kind of, I mean, so you're the, saying he was phoning it in at this point in his career. <laughs> he was, phoning, how old was he in 1958? I mean, didn't he die at 176 or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Um, he was up there. To, I mean, so it, it, yeah. Well, I think this draws a larger question here, and that larger question is just historical preservation in general, right? I think you you said it nicely, which is, should we care about an office building that got torn down, or should we care about it because it's a Frank Lloyd Wright building that got torn down? And I think that's the critical aspect of this here in the town I live in, we have a historical preservation commission 
one I've actually served on before. Yeah. And any building that's 50 years old, 50 years or older has to go through this commission to approve or disapprove any sort of modifications or demos and everything. And, and one of the criteria that we often use is it, what's the historical significance of the building? Are there, say, other buildings just like it? And that, that, that goes more for residential. In the case of my own house, I could easily point to, I think it was three or four other houses at the time that were identical to mine, built by the same person in 1950, the exact same floor plan. So there, it wasn't, in my case, when Especially I tore mine house. Yeah, well, I mean, it was special to me, but other than there was no historical Well, I'm just saying architecturally. Yeah. And it, well, and architecturally, there was no great significance to the building. Uh, and there were others just like it. So it wasn't like a one-off and uh, uh, something that was needed to maybe be thought of to preserve. So that was okay. So, okay, down it went. But I think in this case, whether it's a bad Frank Lloyd Wright building or not, I mean, not every build, not everything we do as architects is is a home run, right? <laughs> not every project we do <laughs> well, is an iconic Guggenheim esque building well, of speak some for sort. Yourself, but you're no Frank Lloyd Wright, Mister Payne. <laughs> <laughs> Dude was the Babe Ruth of architecture, right there. <sighs> I get all right. So, I mean, I, I, I so I I just think that. Should buildings in general be given some sort of consideration and perhaps protected, I think is the larger question here. It's certainly adding to the this equation is the fact that this was designed by probably one of the most famous American architects has ever lived. So should that have given it some sort of special protection so that it shouldn't have been torn down? Frank Lloyd Wright would have just bitch slapped you. <laughs> okay, explain. <laughs> one of one of the most. <clears throat> excuse me. The yeah, most. The, the most. most. There is no yeah, one so of. Yes. Yeah, so, all right. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I I didn't want to. Ex- just, I, I was trying to avoid the emails or the tweets from other people saying <laughs> that there were other famous American no, no, architects. No, no, better. It was like, yeah. In Frank Lloyd Wright's mind, Frank Lloyd Wright was the best. Of course. Well, we all think we're the best. Well, unfortunately, I mean, you're, you're no, putting you're this this question out there, and the only people who only the people who actually care about this stuff, and we know that that's not a hundred percent of the people, right? Have to put the money where their mouths are. And sure. so, if right. if that's architects or enthusiasts or or disciples of Frank Lloyd Wright or whatever it is, like they're the ones who are going to have to put the money up. And if they don't, there's got to be a timeline associated with this. It's not like the building could just sit there empty forever until somebody buys it who is right. going to take care of it and and become that that okay. caretaker All that right. that so, good so we'll Samaritan. Throw something out here. So let's let's go back a few couple thousand years. I mean, was was but the when you were born? Well, I was just like, I mean, was the Pantheon the best building in its error in its area that you know maybe it deserved to be torn down for something else to be built there? Right? I, I, I'm just throwing throwing it out there. I mean, we don't know well, what might see, be historically significant that's... in the future. 
Right. But see, those are that's a bad i that's a bad example only right. because fair enough. So so only because in Italy and Europe and every other country that's not you know titled the United States of America, they actually build upon their history and keep their history as kind of intertwined with everything else. They don't mow it all over every thirty years and then rebuild and all this other stuff. I mean. You know, we have good examples, like saying in D.C. and everything else, of us sort of doing that a little bit. But for the most part, our, you know, our our thing is, you know, progress. Uh, but Let's just keep up with you're progress. You're looking through and, it with a lens of of history, the advantage of the lens of history here. We only see what exists there because it's lasted this long, right? We don't know what other kind of crap was built and fell apart 2000 years ago in Europe, right? I mean, I'm sure there were tons of things that we might consider special or really cool that are just gone today, right? Or or gone even a thousand years ago, it was gone. So nobody even knows what was there. So I'm just thinking that well, I don't know. I don't. I, that's the the thing I struggle with here is that I don't know the answer. Should every building over fifty years old, over a hundred years old, over a thousand years old be kept, or should they? Should it be gone, or should it be just looked at one by one? Is there one special thing about that particular building that should stay? That's the reason it should stay. And this one across the street's garbage. And nobody cares about it. We could tear that one well, down. I mean, it's not even—it's not even about like you know—is this garbage or not garbage? I mean, you know, hell. I mean, what do they say about art? You know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You know, sure. But and so everything, you know, even you, Neil, are special to someone. <laughs> but <laughs> but well, thank you, Cormac. <laughs> I wasn't saying me. No. Um, that was the implication. No, uh, no, but. You know, I mean, I think Evan said it, you know, that that we grow, we develop, we change, you know, society changes and all that other stuff. And we basically, you know, build to suit the um, what's going on in today's society, whether or not we can reuse it um, is one thing we can, you know, most of the time and usually when it's by the direction of an architect you know it it usually is let's let's look at a way to do an adaptive reuse on it rather than to tear it down or things like that and you know in cases like this one i mean this was an anomaly because there really was no good reason to tear it down other than it seemed he was kind of spiteful to a lot of people who were telling him what to do and i was going back and doing a little bit of uh like research on this particular developer and that's kind of his thing is just like, you know, he, he knows what's best for, because it's his money. He knows what's best for a town And you know, there's been some things that, you know, he's done in his past that seem noble, uh, to, you know, preserve and, and kind of, but his idea is to kind of basically reshape this area into what he thinks is the right thing for the city. Um, so it was purely a selfish, you know, motive. Uh, the guy, you know, had no intention of, um, keeping the building around. He didn't care if it was Frank Lloyd Wright or Frank Lincoln Wright. Same guy, just to let you know. Um, 
That's a that's a question I want to know is why did uh, they change Frank Lincoln Wright to Frank Lloyd Wright? Why did he do that? Somebody on the internet will tell us. Somebody on the internet, please tell me. I'm curious. But um, so he had no real, in- you know, no real interest in that. You know, I I I, I go back and I look at um a lot of uh the you know Detroit um area stuff. I mean, you know, he had uh, Minoru Yamasaki who was practicing in that area. You had um, Albert Kahn and all these other ones. And we've lost plenty of their um, early buildings and stuff. In fact, you know, the the um, Yamasaki's building, the, um, the, the Twin Towers, I mean, that the, the pattern in the windows was very iconic him. Mm-hmm. And if you go and you look at all of these, you know, a lot of buildings around the Detroit metro area and in the suburbs, um, you'll see buildings that have that window pattern because that was kind of his thing. Um, there was a there's a building there's kind of a a test um, subject or a, a scale model I guess you can call it of the twin towers is there's a um, a, an office building on Jefferson in downtown Detroit, right on the, you know, on the water that looks like a small scale figure of, um, one of the twin towers. But, um, where my wife grew up, she used to go to this movie theater that was designed by him. And it had the same kind of window patterning. It had this kind of screen that went over, um, you know, kind of formed, uh, you know, a colonnade and all this other stuff that um, was kind of that same window patterning and stuff. And I loved the thing. It was quirky. It was weird. It was ugly, but it was cool. <laughs> and it was leveled. And they haven't put anything back there. And I, I kind of feel bad that they leveled the thing, but, you know, it had it had set vacant for... You know, over a decade. And it just became a liability. And it just, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and my, my wife asked this question, you know, she asks me this question all the time, and I don't really know the answer to this. Um, when somebody builds a building, whether it's got great historic significance or it's absolutely just nondescript and, you know, nobody cares really about it one way or the other, when it's outgrown its use and people move out and it sits there vacant. Um, she, she always asks me, why isn't the, why isn't it the responsibility of the person who owned it last or the person who, um, you know, possibly still owns it or the person who built it that if it sits dormant for 10 years, 15 years or something, isn't it, Shouldn't it be their responsibility to come back and either, you know, demolish it or something because it's, you know, causing blight? And it's a good question. You know, I mean, you know, I mean a blight, t- a blight fee. Exactly. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it it would it would be interesting to to kind of like ask that question to everybody. It's like, what what do you do when a building is not used anymore? I mean, do you just let it sit there and let, you know, nature reclaim it? I I mean, I love taking those photographs. I can point at five different buildings that got built either right before the recession, during the recession, or after it, that have never had one tenant in them. Yeah. That I drive by on my way to work. And you got to ask, you know, I mean, hell, during the recession, I, there was, or just before the recession, before I moved, 
up here from Florida. This developer had all of these big, you know, nice beachfront builder homes, all like, you know, 5,000, 7,000 square foot homes, big, huge houses that were half built. Um, they, you know, had, some of them had siding on them. Some of them didn't. Some of them were just, you know, um, wrapped in building paper and had windows in them and everything else. But that was how they stood. And the last time I went there, and this was like, you know, years and years after I had left, I went back and they're still there in the same condition. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, some of them, the, the building paper is completely gone. Some of them have, you know, kind of like it's turned black and it was a white paper. Now it's a black paper and it's, you know, so you got to ask, it's like, you know, shouldn't there be some responsibility of the builder to like tear that stuff down? Um, or, or, or what do we just let, you know, I mean, I worked on a, a new urbanist development that, um, the first phase was, 500 acres. And so they went in and they put in, and this was just before the recession, they put in, um, all of the, um, the underground utilities. They ran all of the electrical, they ran everything. They put in all of these beautiful, um, brick roads and everything else. And the curbs were in there and, you know, you could see all of the, um, the transformers getting ready for houses to occupy all of the sites nothing hmm. it is it it, it is out. now yeah it is now a decade later and there has been nothing built on it yeah and you know the it's they're slowly being reclaimed you know the nature is taking back over and you know you just it's uh it's interesting to to you know it's good a uh, you know anthropology um you know, exercise just to kind of like document all of the, the failed attempts at, you know, civilization. But, and now I'm getting off on a weird tangent, but, um, you know, you just got to ask, you know, it's like, you know, what do you save? What don't you save? What, you know, um, and does it matter who it's by? Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm it's sure honestly a question some... I really want, you know, to have a conversation, a bigger, broader one with, you know, more people. I mean, it, Neil, it interests me that you have been on, um, you know, the, uh, historic preservation commission and, and, you know, you started to allude to like what, um, you know, what you guys would allow or, you know, or, or like at least the process of, um, you know, how, if a building was going to be demolished, I mean, you know, it's got a, if it meets all these criteria, did you guys just say, well, then sorry, no, you can't demolish this building. You have to do something else with it. We were never in my time. We were never faced exactly with that question. We were faced with sometimes remodels to more historic homes here in, in the area. And mm -hmm. so we, I mean, they had to very carefully, do what they were doing to make it work within the existing, you know, we couldn't do anything like we got into the secretary of interior standards and all of this right. stuff. And right. so that, that it got very complex sometimes, but we yeah. were never faced with that. A question of, I want to tear this building down. And we said, no, you couldn't uh, most likely 
if that question had arised, they, they might, might've abandoned the project before they ever brought it to the commission at that point. Uh, I, I don't know if that ever happened because it would have to go through staff first. And so staff would do a preliminary evaluation and to see if it was necessary. Not every project was brought to us. So, so staff could have the ability to make a decision on their own, whether or not, whether or not something was deemed significant enough to make it to the commission. And that was based on a lot of different, several different criteria, one of which was this historical report that was done. Some people uh, in town complain about it. They say it's not, not perfect, but it, it's a very good historical record of all the homes and all the buildings in town that was done I don't know, back in the 1980s, I think it was, so it was a, it's a very good historical record to refer to. So if there was some significance to a building, it was rated back at the time. And so we oftentimes would use that report to go back and say, okay, was this home in that report? Was it mentioned? What was the historical significance of it? And so that was used as a document to kind of guide us a little bit. Well, I mean, like, you know, let's use the project I worked on in Annapolis Elementary School, you know, it was these two um, two buildings that were not um, on the historic register for um, the all of Annapolis, or at least all of that the downtown region of Annapolis is part of a historic district. And even though those two buildings were within the historic district, they were deemed as non-contributing um, buildings to the historic district. And so technically they, if they needed to be torn down, they could be torn down because they were non-contributing. But, you know, I mean, the, the city, I mean, the um, school system decided that they didn't want to tear it down because it would be a lot cheaper. There's some big, huge monstrous air quotes because after, you know, five years, of going through that building, I question whether or not it was cheaper to save the buildings than it was to demolish them. It was an absolute blast to go through the project and do the project. Um, but looking at like these buildings were built so wrong, there was no footings. Um, it was the, the, it was laden with asbestos all over the place. Uh, there was a hundred and, however many, you know, what, 120, I guess, 20 years now, 30 years now, um, of just the worst construction practices you could possibly imagine. But, you know, at the end of the day, after we saved them and basically kind of redid them, now they're um, on the outside, they look nice and historic, and they're still there. and, And on the inside, they're as modern as modern can be. You know, they've got, uh, you know, footings that go down well below the frost depth. Uh, you know, they've got, you know, micro piles holding, you know, parts that, you know, were falling in, you know, in place together and all that other stuff. But, you know, if you wanted to look at it as an economically viable option, it was probably better just looking at the at face value of this building these buildings posed hazards of every possible idea of or example of the word hazard and they should have been torn down but we saved them and and made them better 
the question is, is did we do the right thing? <laughs> you know, I, I think um, it's a tough question to answer and everybody's got to, every owner probably has to try and answer that question for themselves. Although I think many people, that question's out of their hands, right? Because it's the surrounding area, neighbors or city that oftentimes feels they have a say in whether or not a building should be torn down or not. And so it's, oftentimes it's not in your control. You, although right. in the case of this Frank Lloyd Wright building, I suppose it was in his control to do that, although quite suspect to have it torn down in the middle of the night when nobody's paying attention. So, yeah, he, he, like I said, I, I personally feel like he totally had no intention of ever saving the building. Maybe he had, Maybe. he had a vision. I mean, if you just like, just, I, you know, I, and I'll put it in there, just the, you know, looking at his kind of like past developmental history, the guy never, um, I mean, hard worker, he, uh, you know, he knows what he wants to do. And, and I mean, the guy doesn't sound like a bad guy. It's just the guy just, he's got a vision and he's, nothing's going to kind of stop. Um, you know, no, nothing's really going to stop him from doing what he wants to do. Um, and, and I don't think that he ever really had any intention of saving the building. Yeah, maybe not. Um, maybe not. I, I still think there's the bigger question is should buildings if they, if there's some historical significance to them, or if there's not, should they be saved, or should we be paving over buildings, or you know, removing well, them? Right? And I don't know. That's a tough question to answer. I, I have, you know, um, I don't know if this is, you know, a parallel example or not, but um, one of my favorite buildings, one of my favorite architects. Um, if I hadn't talked about it before. Uh, Evan, who's one of my favorite architects? Oh, I you, thought you were saying know. I was. Sorry. <laughs> well, other other than you and, and Neil. Oh, please. Um, who's one of my favorite architects who spent, who did very few buildings on this coast, but did tons of buildings on your coast? I don't know who you're talking about, man. I have no you idea. Have Richard Neutra. Oh, okay. Oh. Come on. <laughs> you don't know me. Now you're going to make me put a link in the show notes to him. Anyway, so Richard Neutra, you know, came over onto this side of the, the youngster the world every every once in a great while, and he did the um, the Gettysburg Cyclorama, mm-hmm. and um, as we all know, or if we don't know, the building is now demolished mm-hmm. and and gone. It sat probably. I remember going to that building the first time I ever went to Gettysburg. That's where they had the big. Um, uh, diorama of you know like the the Gettysburg battlefield and then the gift shop and everything else and they built a new one kind of off of the battlefield this was perched right at the top of the hill um on the battlefield so that you went to the top there was a um a terrace on the top and you could overlook the battlefield you could overlook um, kind of back where the encampments of the Northern Army was. You can see where the pickets, you know, pickets charge happened and all of these other things. And so the building was perfectly suited for the idea of being able to kind of get a, almost a bird's eye view of all of these different, you know, um, sites. 
that even if you're standing on the ground of, you know, at the top of the hill, you don't ever really get to see the same perspective as you did when you were, you know, engaged with the building. Building, um, you know, once they moved out of that building and had a nice new um, shiny gift shop with the IMAX movie theater and all that other stuff, um, it basically started to fall apart. Uh, every time I went back there and, and really I only went back there more because I just wanted to see the building that I wanted to, you know, see Gettysburg. I mean, there's just so much of seeing the same thing over and over again, but I, I loved the building. And so every time we went back there, I always went back there as kind of to pay my little, you know, homage to it. But, um, anyway, it, so when they demoed it, or when they said that they were going to demo it, you know, a lot of people were up in arms, you know, oh, this is, you know, a Richard Neutro, he's a very famous architect, um, did very few buildings on the East Coast, and this is an example of one of them. It's also, it was kind of also, I believe it was part of that whole, um, God, what was it called? Um, Mission 66? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was part of the whole mission, I believe it was part of the whole Mission 66 thing of like, trying in all of these wonderful, beautiful, um, modern buildings all over the place in, in national parks and, um, national battlefields and monuments and all that other stuff. So it, it, it has a very architecturally, it's got a very rich history. Um, and it was demolished because it was in the way of an even richer history, which was it stood in the middle of a battlefield where they wanted to restore the battlefield back to the day that the battle happened and wanted to get rid of the building because it was in the way. Um, makes sense-ish. Mm-hmm. I wish they would have gotten rid of the parking lot that was adjacent to it because um, that was just as much part of the battlefield as the building. But if they were going to mow the building down, um, then, you know, it made sense. But, you know, it's it's this kind of in the same realm as this. It's a, It was done by a famous architect. It was done by a famous architect who had very few buildings on this coast. Um, and, um, it was probably, it was an example of a period of time in, um, you know, kind of America's, um, you know, they were, they were trying to bolster, um, what was it? The, just the kind of the spirit of America and, and all these national parks and stuff. And, and so it was part of that whole effort. So, I mean, it had a lot of great history. Nobody saved it, yeah. You know, because it was because it was in the way, you know. And it, I, I kind of feel like this is one of those cases. You know, I mean, um, when you go to the battlefield now, you see the battlefield the way that it you saw the battlefield, um, you know, on the day that it was fought, and that was what their intention was. And um, so I kind of, as much as me personally, you know. I'm sad that the building's gone because I loved the building. I mean, it was just so cool. Um, but it was, it's gone and, but it made sense to go. Yeah. And so that, so that's, I guess that's, I'm using it as an example of, of it makes sense to get rid of them when it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't make sense, you know, and they do go like this particular Frank Lloyd Wright one, it's just kind of a shame. It's just, it's kind of pointless. I mean, why get rid of them just because you can? Yeah. 
Well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have strong strong opinions one way or the other too. So it would be cool to kind of hear what maybe, maybe there's even somebody who who's more familiar with this particular one than any of us are, which is zero. Yeah, we're not not familiar at all. So that would be no, we're interesting to hear. <laughs> Yeah, I'd I'd like to hear. I mean, I, I'm I'm interested, you know, with you know, because we've got you know listeners all over the place, um, and you know, I'm just curious how other people treat um, historic landmarks, um, you know, architectural landmarks, um, and what your thoughts are on you know preserving them or demolishing them or, you know, I mean, the the easy one is oh, you, know, you should just preserve it and. You know, if you want to change use, change use. I mean, that that's fine. I mean, that that should sort of be. I mean, that's the the lasting telling tale of like good architecture is. Can you keep it around? Can you you know do a little bit of adaptive reuse and do something else with it, but it's still around. Well, it's more um, sustainable you know, too. So it, it's far more sustainable. Yeah. But I'm more curious about well, what happens when it's faced with demo, you know demolition. Mm-hmm. What is everybody else's take on it? That'd be, you know, really interesting. So please go to our Twitter page, Facebook page, or wherever else page. Go to the comment section of the of our uh, um, website and and tell us what you think about it because I'm interested. Yeah. Topic I love. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> that's great. All right. Well, let's take us out with. No, damn it. Yeah. Let's take us out because we're taking. Since we've taken <laughs> since out, we've taken out. Yes, since we've taken out a building, let's take us out. I agree. Let's take this episode out. All right. So, hey, this episode I want to remind everybody is brought to you by RCAT and BQE Core. The music is by System Kid. You can subscribe to Arcaspeak on Apple Podcasts or whichever app, podcast app you use. Be sure to check out our archive at arcaspeakpodcast.com where you can stream or download every episode we've ever released and find links to the articles referenced in the episode. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook or via email at arcaspeakpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. Thank you very much. Bye.
So oh.